0: I mean, community is everything, right? I mean, that's kind of like the, the God particle. Somehow filmmakers think that they are exempt from needing that support system, needing that camaraderie or needing that feedback chamber. But, you know, it's really, it's fundamental to the craft. It's fundamental to the art.
1: You're listening to the Young Directors Award podcast. We're King Shi and we're your hosts. And this is episode one with Bradford Young. So here's a quick bio on Bradford before we jump into the conversation. He's an Oscar-nominated cinematographer-turned-director.
2: Yeah, he's sick. Films he shot include Ain't Them Body Saints, Selma, Arrival, and Solo A Star Wars Story.
1: Dude, I love Selma. And just last year, he started directing commercials. And he won a Cannes Grand Prix and two gold Young Director Awards for his Paralympic spot Superhumans.
2: Here we go, Bradford Young.
1: We moved to LA right before the pandemic and that was really tough being away from our families during a time like that. Right. So we made plans to come back to New York last year, and and it's been amazing. Word,
2: Bradford had babies during the
1: pandemic.
0: Yeah, I had <laughs> babies. during that not joking. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't during. It was like you know, base. But basically, you know what I mean. And she was tiny by the time it all. Are went you down. up to
1: three now? Or yeah, we're up to three. That's
0: awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know what though? Y'all know, you know, you're close, so you know what it is. It's, woo,
1: it's work. <laughs> I don't know what you know about this podcast, Bradford, but we're basically talking to other directors to gain counsel as directors on mm-hmm. the come up ourselves. Yeah. And our directing career got launched last year when our short film, The Boy Who Cried Swag, right. won three YDA awards. And we immediately got signed to production companies yeah. for representation. And it's been really interesting being tapped into directing commercials based on making a short film and a pretty fringe one at that. But the process has also been very surprising and challenging for us. And the whole point of this podcast is to workshop with other filmmakers the experiences we're Mm. going through so that we can learn from each other and hopefully empower Mm. each other in the
0: process. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. It's a good time to talk about it because I'm definitely at a crossroads.
1: We just were like, the first person we need to talk to is Bradford.
0: Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's talk. Yeah, let's talk. I
2: mean, one of the Fun things is kind of just like talking to just other filmmakers and starting to unpack the process of how they navigate this space in an attempt Correct. to reflect maybe some of the learnings that you've gone through and if that could help others and vice versa, you know. Mm. And so, creating a sense of dialogue and community around it is crucial.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, community is everything, right? I mean, that's kind of like the the God particle. It's, it, it seems so far away, but it's so innate, so organic, and so present but it feels so foreign. Somehow filmmakers think that they are exempt from needing that support system, you know, needing that camaraderie or needing that feedback chamber. But, you know, it's really, it's fundamental to the craft. It's fundamental to the art. It's fundamental to all arts, but film is laced with all other, other little complicated things that makes it less community orientated. If there's anything that we can participate in like this, where it's just like, let's just demystify the whole thing and let's just talk about what it really is. And that's like, I imagine that could probably be helpful for young people, you know?
1: Yeah. People coming yeah. up,
0: whatever. Not even young, I can say young, but just like folks coming up in the game.
2: We've kind of spoken in the past. I think a lot of people might look at you or look at your work and think that it's been some kind of like innate thing or that you were born into a specific kind of like artistic class. But, you know, so much of what you've done has been through process. What was early on that rigor that you put on yourself? Mm. What was it that actually allowed you to build the tools that you have now?
0: You know, man, really, honestly, it's like it comes from, you know, my family for sure, you know, but, like, my parents, I didn't get a chance to observe them and their, like, rigor, you know what I mean? Because I think they're, like, a civil rights generation of, like, conflicted Black people who were not necessarily trying to get jobs, really wanted to still work in the community, and, but also looked out and saw the need to, like, raise family and knew that in order to do that, they were going to have to transform and dress themselves in ways that were not necessarily innate to who they really wanted to be. I think the person that, like, really struck a really incredible balance between identity, culture, respectability, politics, their Blackness, um, and their understanding of how important culture was and how important work is, are my grandparents, especially and my mom's parents, specifically my grandfather, who was just like a worker. You know, I tell the story that my very close dear friend, E.M.R. Hutchins, who's an incredible painter and collagist, his grandfather and my grandfather were best friends. And my grandfather during the civil rights movement in Louisville, Kentucky, my grandfather was like the financier of the movement. (laughs) so he like paid for folks to get out of jail. He paid lawyer fees. He paid for folks to get food. He like, and he put my, you know, he put his kids, my mom and her four other siblings on the front line with him. And Lyman T. Johnson, who was Imar's grandfather, was, you know, he was the agitator. You know what I mean? And they had like this beautiful symbiotic relationship where my grandfather would be like, go agitate, go agitate, and don't worry about, going to jail because I'm going to bail you out. And he was able to do that because he was a no-nonsense mortician. Like this cat was, (laughs) (laughs) he wasn't even, you feel me? Like this dude wasn't even a lawyer. He wasn't even like a doctor. He was a mortician. So it's all a testament. I grew up in a, I feel like I grew up in an environment with the like respectability politics of things, the Mm -hmm. sort of race first lens that my grandfather was kind of ushering us through. My grandmother, who was like very, cosmopolitan and very um, sophisticated on so many levels and really gentle and kind and beautiful and strong. And we really like all kind of huddled under her. She was like the hardcore English teacher. Like she really worked hard at making sure we understood the power of language. We were good mm-hmm. readers and all of that. This is all like all this rigor that was around me that I didn't always like, I didn't always like it. You know what I mean? Like my grandfather was hard and yeah. he was like, He was like an oak tree. You know what I mean? He was hard to bend. He was hard to break. He was super. He was about his jazz, his bourbon. He was about protecting Black people. And that was it, like, and family. But he wasn't, like, soft and warm and cuddly. My grandmother was about the exact same things, but she was, like, about art. She was about making sure we were around culture, you know what I mean? But they put in work and the rigor to make sure that the optics of things, it wasn't just, like, the gesture of like, we're doing this work to like make sure that you're free. It was like, they made sure the optics were crisp too. Things had to feel and look a certain way. And sometimes it may have felt a little surface, but it felt and looked a certain way. And we all understood that, that we were standing amongst people who understood grace.
1: It's so interesting that optics was part of the revolutionary act, part of breaking barriers for your family. How does that figure into your own rigor as a filmmaker?
0: I think, you know, for me, the rigor of it all is when you put the dreams of your ancestors, the sort of existential thing that's not necessarily connected to your blood, but that's connected to the cosmos that's always working, mm. right? That's always touching you and calling on you. The thing that your ancestors are always putting forth for you or the challenges they give you or the things that we have to rely on, like their herbs or the things they left behind for us to keep us in shape. When you take that, and then you take this sort of Western Protestant work ethic thing and you mash them all together, they find like this beautiful balance. And that for me is like the rigor. You know what I mean? That's the thing. Mm. Like you want to shoot somebody, you want to make sure they look good. You got to love that person, even though you don't know that person. That's like, not about the commerce that's about some other cosmological thing. You know,
1: how do you take that, which feels so deep. And I'll, I, I don't even know if the word fringe is even <laughs> cosmological, but this episode is going to be called cosmological, not fringe. <laughs> but how do you take that and then, and then do what you do? Like you're directing short form now.
0: I mean, I'm going to keep it a buck. So 100 for you, right? It's going to be real. <laughs> short form is cool because I can be with my friends and I can make some cash. And what I do with the cash is my business. I want to say that one more time for all the young heads listening. Yes, yes, go get your $1,000 Hinder Scheme shoes. Yes, go get your whole Balenciaga bag. Yes, buy the house in Silver Lake with the pool. Yes, go get your whole brownstone in Bed-Stuy. Do all of that because when you direct commercials, you're getting paid more money than 99.9% of the population. And if you're a person of color and you're directing commercials and you're getting paid top right, you are up. You are Essentially, the enemy of the people. You are making more money than 99.99999% of your people. But at the same time, I also say with a little wink, what you do with your money is your business. And I remember what I told you about my grandparents. They had all of that. Cars, furs. They were living a whole beautiful life. But what they did with their money was their business.
1: And what about community and collaborators when it comes to short form?
0: I love being with the friends. I love traveling and making projects and like treating everything like a little film school project. And I love doing something like passing the footage off to Robert and being like, yo, bro, like do you, man. Like I am gonna be a zero trauma, trauma free collaborator. You are a professional and you're an artist. Go do you. You're a consummate worker with rigor and a lovely spirit. It comes from a beautiful community. Go do you. And that's also the thing that I'm trying to do is too, is set like a precedence about all this micromanaging and all this like stuff that really kind of traumatized me and making films that I like, I can actually not have to do when I'm doing commercials, commercials. I can just, I can look at Sean Peters and be like, show me something. I don't even, am I, I'm looking and I love what you're doing. I, I see it, but have fun. Akeem McKenzie, why are you bothering me with the details of the room? Do what you want. Do what you want, but I think there's also that part of me that enjoys. Just I mean, it also helps it that
1: you're talking about two incredible collaborators, like Akeen and Yeah, you're you a <laughs>
0: different <laughs> top level collaborators you're you working with. You know?
1: Akeen doesn't even know this, but he's actually the inspiration for King She, the name. Wow. I had this conversation with Akeen. He was traveling all around Africa, and my hands were just like supercharged. I almost had to like touch the ground after speaking to him. And that's when I turned <laughs> to Robert and I was like, I have Have the name.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's dope. (laughs) That sounds like a very Akeem McKenzie moment. Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Bringing it from community to film to what you're doing with commercials back to community that now makes so much sense to me. Yeah, yeah.
0: So that's why they feel it feels like a a special resource. I -hmm. would say it's a special resource. Um, and then, you know, periodically you get really my first commercial, like the Paralympics campaign, where you get something that's about a little bit more than just selling the product or trying to sell a higher concept, a better concept of ourselves, you know, and, or even Hotels.com. It's cool. You know what I mean? Because we, we were able to like, you know, we set rules because we want to make sure that the crew has an afternoon to enjoy the location we were shooting. You know, what's, what's the use of going to Paris, taking some cat from Long Beach or South Central who ain't never been to Paris. You gonna take them all the way to Paris and working to death and never let them see Paris? That's crazy. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we got to wrap. We got to get it, get the work done, and you know, you know. And I think that's too. That's that community building, like taking care of each other.
2: We've had conversations, Bradford, about idea of like making images with intentionality, right? Like image and image making as having a kind of like personal uh, purpose in a way. Do you still find yourself looking at images that you're making now and thinking? Is this the thing? Is it there? Like, is there a process for you when you look at an image? Were you able to say, okay, yeah, well, that, that that's the thing. And what is that thing that's speaking to you in the image?
0: Yeah, that's a really, that's a, yeah, that's a wicked question. Well, I think all of us, you know what I mean? There's that thing. I don't even know how to quantify it because it's so, the body without the spirit is dead. you just just walking dead. You don't have no spirit. You're just like a, a, a shell. If you're agnostic, atheist, spiritual, monothe whatever you are, like that's kind of what we all are really looking for in every moment and everything. It's like, let's say for instance, when Akeem, Sean, and I are trying to set up a frame, you know what I mean? And we see all of these like it's all very messy at first. You know, it's like, Oh, what what's going on? What are we doing? Why is it not working? What's not happening? And what's happening, what's not happening is that the body hasn't hasn't been populated by the spirit or the spirit just hasn't shown, revealed itself, you know, because it wants us to be engaged in the thing that you asked, Robert, which is about this rigor. Titus Kafar, the painter, you know, he said something to me too, like a few months ago. He was like, he's like, when I make my work, I get the base. And then there's this other spirit, this like, this gin that's in my shoulder that's saying to me, this other spirit that's saying to me, rip the canvas. And I'm saying, no, 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 I'm not going to rip the canvas. I'm not going to rip the canvas. And the spirit is saying to him, okay, don't rip the canvas, but it's not going to be good. And so he's like, I, don't, I can't rip the And then he says he finally rips the canvas and it always works out. He just has to listen to that spirit that's always taught, speaking to him. And I think it's the same way with us when we make frames. It's like the spirit's there. You know what I mean? It's just making us work hard. It's the test. Are you listening? Are you paying attention? Are you having this beautiful, complicated, layered conversation about what we're looking at? And again, you know, with commercials, you, sometimes it could be about a can of Coke. <laughs> or it could be about a hotel room. You know what I mean? It seems very sort of primal for this whole thing that feels very spiritually sophisticated, but that's what it is. It is what it is. And and I think the spirit doesn't judge that. It just wants the maker or the the empath to be honest. So whatever it is we're engaged in, and, and for instance, in film, it's just about, really, it's about the frame, honestly. That's really what filmmaking is about. If it's not about the frame, then it's radio or it's a theater. So the job of all of us is to make a frame.
1: And how do you know it's the right moment, the right frame?
0: I know it's the right moment when this beautiful voice that I can't identify, I can't I know if I can articulate, says, this is the right moment. That's when I'll say, even when I know Sean and the aren't really ready, I'll say, Let's try it. Because then the spirit says, let's try it. And then the inertia, the humans start to populate it. And there's some frequency, too, that they're unaware of, that they're working in as well, right? What's beautiful is to watch king and then Sean go in and put their hands on it. And I learned a lot about doing that from the artist Leslie Hewitt when, she, you know, Leslie years ago pulled me out of filmmaking for a hot second. was like, you need to make installations with me. And we went and did video art. And it was beautiful. Something I never experienced where we would set up tableaus and then she would walk in front of the frame and move something. And then go back and look at the camera. You know, we're shooting film, so she's looking through the eyepiece. And then I would go in and move something. Or like, re- turn the thing. She moved back the other direction, and then we would look <laughs> at it together. You know what I mean? And then there would be something, and we would say, this is it. And then we would do it. And that's the spirit. That's the, the now the body has this thing that speaks to us and tells us, okay, this is the moment. It's possible, and it's going to happen in whatever we're doing. And I'm re- being very specific about us who are working in the... Um, I always love this is like a word the elders always use, the the creative fields. (laughs) (laughs) For us working in the creative fields, this is like, that's that's what it is, you know?
2: It's interesting because it's like, you've definitely been in situations that are like um, politically stressful, financially Mm. stressful, even Mm. time stressful. Is there a process that you undertake? Is there a way that you protect for the space for that frame to speak to you?
0: Great question. yeah. Bar, man, you're you asking the killers. Filmmaking is a it's a creative endeavor, <laughs> but it's also it has it has its own dialectics, right? And so I remember one story uh, reading this book, New Cinematographer, where Harris which Harris Savides, the great Harris Savides, if you don't know, go mm-hmm. look him up. is one of the yep, yep. the greatest of all times, if not the GOAT. He was shooting yards. It was like. The scene they kept shooting with Faye Dunaway in the kitchen with uh, Mark Wahlberg, and there was light coming through the window, and Harris kept shooting the same way. And then, you know, James Gray was getting upset about it, and they kept going to the dailies, and it was too dark. And then they finally said, You got to shoot it differently. And so he said, He went back the next day, and he says, In the book, I couldn't help myself. I did it again. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and, 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 with, and then he kind of segued from that to say, Listen, filmmaking is is a set of frames that have a relationship to one another it's like the single frame that's still photography we're all engaged in the art form of motion picture i don't care if you're a sound designer a field recordist a director a producer you got to respect this is a process of motion pictures if you're not into making pictures get out the craft you feel me like if you just want to work with actors go do stage At some point, you got to respect this camera and the frames. Every frame is only as good as the frame before it and the frame after it. And sometimes the frame in the middle is not as strong as the frame before it or the frame after it. But it has its place. To quote another person, Sylvain Sylvain Defoe, who's like camera operator, now extraordinary. I met her as a camera operator. Now she's an extraordinary, incredible cinematographer from Montreal. She would always say to me, one frame at a time you know what i mean like take your time on that frame now do you get to the point where the frame is like an embodiment of this euphoric thing that we're all kind of like you're doing the whole wax poetic thing about now maybe not but it might not have been the purpose of that frame you know you get it to as close as you can and of course because of the way film operates there's all these other little minuscule trivial things that kind of but beautiful at the same time to come in to like invade the process or like stop the process or or challenge about the process all that politic happens and that will get in the way of getting the frame to like its best self, because it's a living thing, I believe. Mm. But that is what is meant for that frame. You know what I mean? The next frame, you might be able to reach a certain level of perfection. It's just like, it's just like saying every single frame that Roger Deakins makes is a perfect frame. If you ask him that, you know what he's going to tell you? No, it's not. It is not. <laughs> now, that frame that came after that frame is beautiful, but the one before it is good, but it made the next one better. And that's the thing about frequencies. Go listen to any jazz, you know what I mean? Anything. If you're not in jazz, go listen to Nirvana. Smells Like Teen Spirit. They do these pauses in the melody that are incredible. It's those gaps that's like, those are the frames that are not as alive or not as filled with visual sonic frequency, but that's what they're supposed to be because the next frame is the frame where you get the power and the boom. So that's like the perfect theoretical i got it all figured out now that doesn't make it less upsetting when you can't get your frame right no but that's what makes you human that's what makes us artists that's why we artists we believe in that euphoria that's really what we we're honest. We, we're trying to be honest with and that thing we talked about before about how the spirit embodies the moment yes when you're not reaching the euphoria then you're upset then it does feel like you've been cheapened or, you know, you've been robbed of a moment.
1: I just wrote down the euphoria we expect the art to give. think that that's a dream I've been chasing for a minute now.
0: Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's the thing that musicians, it's the thing that musicians are working with and accessing in real time that we are not. I remember when we finished Selma we were doing we had the screening and Jason Moran, of one of the incredible, most incredible pianists, black classical music, jazz pianists of our time. We were all standing in the lobby and we were talking and I said, I said, my nah, man, you gonna score another film? And he was like, Nah, I'm not scoring no more film. <laughs> I was like, Why? He was like that feedback I get from the audience in real time when I'm playing, that I miss that. It's like nah, there's nothing that can give you that. You know, and that's why I'm doing it. And you know, it's hard for me to not have that and still feel like I'm giving something. That euphoria is real. You know, that's really what these musicians really are thirsty for. You know, they have such a different kind of healthier relationship with audience because the audience is right there, which is the reason why you know people like AJ and folks have been talking about how the process should be so much more musical. AJ Khalil, all of them. You know, Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. AJ Mm -hmm. is Arthur Jaffa, who's an incredible
0: artist. Their position is that when they say they want it to feel like as radical as jazz, the, the, the sonic quality, the visual sonic quality, of you know, it's not just like the way it looks or the, what you feel when you see it. It's also when we're making it, how can we make it feel more euphoric, you know?
2: I mean, I, I feel like as, as filmmakers, you do it in other ways, too, right? Like one of the things that I learned recently, I didn't even know this, but like uh, Tribe 7. To, just so everybody knows, Bradford's involved
0: in a company called Tribe
2: 7 that makes um, cinema lenses.
0: Right. Right. I mean, well, you know, the, the journey has been like since 2017, you know, Neil Fathom was basically the genius lens thinker of area media here in London. He and I, during Solo, decided to join forces, really his vision, you know, of like... We should make lenses that are less expensive than like the big boys and slightly more expensive than, you know, the ones that you just bought off the shelf. And we should make it customizable. We should make it very affordable and also very transparent. You should be able to really get in that lens and let the lens tell your whole story. Lenses and film technology are not relatable. It's not a relatable endeavor. It's a very hierarchical, elitist endeavor where nobody even tries to put their foot in there because the gatekeepers have it on lock. And how dare you try to come in here and, like, say you're going to give people access to this meta alternate universe buried in these, like, few pieces of glass. But they know that's what it is, right? They know that's what they're doing anyway. (laughs) They know that's the magic of optics. All the way back to the Book of Optics, all the way back to ancient Islamic texts. Like we all know, the optics are like, come on, we know what it's about. Camera obscure, like prisms. Please, like, don't get me started. Like it's not just the lens. There's some, there's some sorcery up in that thing, and there's some God up in that thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so they know, and so you know, they try to like make it. You know, the, you know, the, capturing the light.
2: It's a tool that captures light. Capturing
0: light captures light. It captures an imprint, a shroud of like What's it's miraculous what it can do. Neil and I are lovers and connoisseurs and we consider ourselves part of a, a hip hop generation. You know, one of one of the patron saints of the company is like Dilla. You know, and he was like one of the first on the website. It's like we put Dilla up first, you know what I mean? Because Oh
2: wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm just saying it's colored by a musicality that's like apparent, but we just said it, you know what I mean? And I think You know, really, I know you use the right word feedback. I mean, feedback modulation, amperage, all of of the things that really determine like sound, electricity, and how we can, you know, the ancient form of communication, which optics are, they are. They're an ancient form of communication. And so we're super thankful to everybody that's ever bought a set, not even a set. Some people just bought one lens. And we love them. You know what I mean? We're there, they're our heroes. You know what I mean? And we, we tried to stay away from the trade shows and do all that stuff that feels, you know, I don't know, like, you know what it is, man? All of us are just reflecting on how what we felt like. when we were, I'm always reflecting on what it was like when I was a student. Certain film spaces made me feel real, as you all said earlier, like you and Roda said earlier, just super lonely. And um, mm-hmm. there was nothing more lonely than being out teched. know, somebody sitting on the sideline, like trying to like outspray you with technical information. You know what I mean? If you don't come from a community or come from a space or come from an economic class bracket where you can spit that stuff because you don't have access to it, then, you know, it made you feel less than. And I know I've definitely experienced that. And so I went hard on the, the things that I did know. I did know. I read, you know, I read books. I know my history. I know who I am. I know my ancestors. I know my story. You know what I'm saying? I know where I come from my defense was to go hard on that even though i didn't know it was technical but i'm also trying to not like make people feel uncomfortable by always spitting tech but i want to make highly technical things that are easy for people to use and the only way you can make it easy for them to use is for them to feel like they're in total control of it
2: it's it's funny you saying that cuz like going back like if we were if we were to rewind i, I you know man i so fondly remember our walks around cooper union yeah, You and I walking around Cooper Union talking about film and yep. the place we'd want to exist in, you know, higher art. And we just kept circling that building. And this is kind of like pre-pariah, you know. Yep. But yep. let's just go back to that space for a moment because there are filmmakers out there that are in that space that don't have access to equipment, that don't have the means to make the work that you're making. Or what did you do? Like, how did you actually start making the work?
0: Right, right. Another great Another great, I mean, I mean, we just did it, man. And like, I can't remember the, the specifics. I mean, we had, you know, we were a community. I'm going to interrupt mm-hmm. you because I remember. Nah, ahead, we shot ahead. it with one light. We shot one it with light. one light. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. I mean, you know, we may do, we may do what we had. That didn't always feel good, but I definitely feel like I found myself in those experiences. You know, those are things I carried with me all the way to solo. Yeah, it wasn't like I got the solo and got all brand new. I was like, "Yo, where the windows at? There's two windows. That's where all the lights coming from." (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like I got I'm gonna put a hundred lights in here. You know what I mean? Because as soon as I see a double shadow, I'm freaking out. You know what I mean? Because then it starts to feel like (laughs) that thing that I don't like. And so yeah, I mean, we just did. I mean, we made. I mean, we essentially did. You know what? You know what the answer. You know the elders always say is like we make something out of nothing. There is this bridge between the world we live in now with this hyper social media, hyper globalized thing. It does match the experience and the work that's being made. I mean, I came from Howard, so we only had there was there was only one light. You know what I mean? We had one lens. We had one S R two. That hadn't even been converted to super sixteen it was still sixteen, and that's all we had. And then somebody stole that, and then we <laughs> had like an atom. <laughs> <And then> somebody <laughs> took that, and then we had like an atom. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, I was used to these like challenges, but we still made sense. You know, we still had you know certain stories in our head. Like, we still wanted to work like Nestor Alamandros and storaro together, which mm-hmm. wash the room with color, but also at the same time shoot at the perfect hour. You know what I mean? Like, you know, we 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 had ideas. You know, what I mean, we also we had Haile Garima and Shrikyana Aina in one year, but we were also sweating Tarkovsky, uh, Pasolini in the other year. You know what I mean? Like we were we had all this sort of like array of influence and inspiration. It all kind of made sense that you know, like something like Pariah, which is like completely natural, like completely low key. But then you can see us trying to do the Storaro thing or do the like mm-hmm. do the mm-hmm. belly. But we and I'll say this too. We, but then in a 4444 forefront, four, four, four we had Malik and Hype. We had literally, like, we considered them to be the gods of, like, the craft and the expression and the practice. So we had all these, like, really incredible references. So when we had a moment, so we would design moments together, we would say, this is a moment where we're going to have two more lights and we're going to use them very specifically. And we're going to do the color wash and we're going to make sure that it's, it, feel, it has its resonances, but it's, it's going to serve its purpose. And so I think that film, when you see it, has all of that frequency and quality in it and um but we survive
2: i love that i love that i never thought of it that way that pray is some combination of like the conformist meets belly (laughs) 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 that's amazing
0: we
1: literally pulled the conformist out last night like it's on our (laughs) shelf
0: that's it remember Remember where you come from. <laughs> that's it. <Yeah. laughs> I mean, you know, you know, that's what Malik and Hype were watching. And, you know, AJ was making us watch films on and on, you know, so many films. So, I mean, we had r- strong references. We had strong ambitions. We had very little resource, but we had strong ambitions. And we really wanted to tell stories with a strong visual language. An elder in the community kind of taught all of us. His name is, we call him Baba Kwasi, but his name is John Renault. And he always says, even, listen, it's funny, this cat taught everybody from Malik, inspired Malik, all the way down to my 10-year-old, Olukai, nine, actually, about seven, 10. he would always ask my son, do you know the difference between the written language and the visual language? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like, <laughs> these are the cats that we were around, you know what I mean? They were just like neighbors living in Baltimore, and then he still believes so much in cinema, believe so much in the power of the image that they would even ask a nine-year-old, you know? Mm-hmm. Let me talk to you about the the visual language, and that's that's kind of where we came up in, and so you know, and none of these filmmakers made any Hollywood film. They never made a film more than a couple, few thousand dollars. You know what I mean? So it wasn't like we had those references either. We just, again, we had a you know a strong sense of community, and we feel like we have something to say. And, you know, when you got that, the knife owner will suffice. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I do appreciate the fact that, that the iPhone is not a pejorative object. It's like people are using that thing, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. they're not into this whole, wow, I don't have this camera, so I'm, I'm paralyzed. People are like, they're just doing it. And I, and I know some people, we still have that. That's still out there, but people are not paralyzed <laughs> by the technology, you know what I mean? They like they're The iPhone dry. has
1: saved us on probably Completely. every shoot, <laughs> commercial <Completely>. and non
0: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> It'll work. Let's just put it put it. I just did one with Rob and I cause something just we couldn't get the underwater camera to work. So I, at first AC was like literally said, Bro, it was in Miami. He was like, Come come here. I came over. He's like, Come over, check this out. He took his phone out of the case and just threw it in the pool. Like <laughs> <laughs> And then pulled it out and was like, see it still works and I was like, We're shooting with that right now. <laughs> and it's fine, you know. What I mean? it's fine. It works.
1: I know that we're past even the time that we said that this would be, but I had um, it's a question on a lot of people's minds, and is certainly something that relates a lot to us that we think relates to you, which is transitioning into directorial space from other professional careers. Yeah. Does anyone get to be a director right off the bat anymore? And if you are a fully formed professional, how do you manage the transition?
0: Right, nah, that's a again a beautiful question, but I'm also give it a hundred with you. Like I used to say, there was no bridge between cinematography to directing. Though at the time when I was saying that, I was definitely peeping Reed. Like I would be looking at Reed Moreno, like man, look what Reed's doing. Like she's killing it. <laughs> like she's she's a director, man. And you know what I mean. Like so that maybe my theory's wrong. You know what I mean. Like so I was kind of <laughs> feeling like there was no there was no bridge, but now I realize that there's a bridge and, I, and I, I'm gonna tell the story and come back to another thing that I've been saying and kind of been drilling down on people would always come to me all the time saying hey you should direct if you're direct direct and I was just like nah it's not me you know what I mean like I'm not I don't really know how to work with actors I'm kind of not interested in working with actors and I had all the reasons why I wasn't going to do it and also, it also was just not a story I wanted to tell. I was working with John Hillcoat on the show, on a on a commercial, a long commercial, and uh, you know, ATN, Big up to V O came to me and said, "Hey, you, you know, John John told me that he thinks you should direct." This is John Hillcoat, so I'm like, yeah, I like John Hillcoat. I like his films, and I like him." So I was like, "I like him first, but I like his films too, and he's a great guy." You know, it's just so I've met a lot. And I was like, oh, really? She was like, yeah, would you ever think about directing commercials? And I was like, mm, I don't know. You know, the only other person I have reference for is Malik, you know, it's like my big brother. So I was like, so I know it's possible, you know, Malik is as great as a commercial director as he is a DP. So I was like, I guess it's possible not, but I didn't really want to, I didn't, I thought, you know, it's not going to be an easy transition because I still had that bit, that bridge thing. Like, what's the bridge? Does it really work? Haskell Wexler did it when he did Medium Cool, but who else has done it? You know what I mean? But then there was Reed, so... I went to Mexico to do this film, and um, I ended up getting fired from the film, you know. I called VO and I was like, "Hey, I need some work." because she had seen me shooting and because of the way I shoot kind of felt, I think now what I know is because of the way I shoot kind of sometimes maybe feels directorial. And again, I think you have to go we have to have real talk about that because I don't want folks to get caught up in the director thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But it felt directorial. I think what it really is is that it's the command of the visual language again, right? Which is really what film is all about. I think people, when they have kind heart and and a pure mind, they really see that. They don't see the titles. You know what I mean? They see that here's a person that's really engaged in telling the story through a visual medium. I think then they just start to say, well, you should just I just want to give you the opportunity to play with some stuff and see what you what comes up.
2: Yeah, you've made things too.
0: You know, I you know i made installations. You know, I do my installation work on the side and you know, I really have always thought maybe I would transition totally into the making experimental films. I never said I was directing those, I always said I was just playing with objects, moving things, you know, creating enough tension or enough energy in the space to see what happens and then shoot it, you know. So I think not even I think what I know for me was that getting into it was very pragmatic. It was very practical. It was like I needed another way to express myself. And at the time, cinematography, was not. it wasn't going to happen. I was not ready. I was very traumatized. I, I lost all my confidence in that, preparing that film, and I was not ready to go back into the world of cinematography. And honestly, I'm still not ready to do it. But then once I got into it, I realized that, again, it confirmed other things, that it's so much more. You know what I mean? And that it's a privilege to really be in that position. And, and it's a privilege to be in that position as the director, and again, I'm kind of still don't understand, I understand that, but I'm still, I'm avoiding what I feel are the cliches or the sort of tropes or the bad habits or the things that are like the low hanging fruit about directors what that means and what that stands for like i'm an image maker you know what i mean like that i feel confident about hey listen i'll put the camera there might not be an image i still call myself an image maker because I, I i can make an image <laughs> you know I mean? like i know how to i know how to underexpose it I not do everything in between i do all that stuff um as long as the story allows me to i'll do that you know i feel very strong about that but the one thing that i'm learning and i feel really is a good learning space for me right now as I direct these commercials or deal in short form is that I want to assert certain sort of working, actionable working things that are not always easy to introduce in the filmmaking context, which is I want to give all my collaborators absolute freedom. Like, not not a fake freedom. Not a fake freedom with an insecure icing on top. Like a real freedom. I don't care what Sean Peters does because... I'm a cinematographer. Like, I know, I know how to make an image. You know what I mean? I know he's great. He's one of the greatest working now. He's one of the greatest human beings, one of the greatest cinematographers. So I don't need to micromanage this person. I don't need to inject all of my insecurities in his process. I just want him to be the best he can be. I've had the privilege of working with some of the greatest production designers of all times. You know what I mean? Some of them who I admire so much that I'm like, I'm hoping to like shadow them. I'm not trying to micromanage them. I want them to do their best. I want them to teach me and show me something. I feel very secure in that space of just being an observer Mm. and creating this whole empty canvas so that we can truly collaborate like a band. It's like, as AJ would say, or Khalil would say, or Malik would say, like, in my band, Sean is the drummer. And the king plays some strange instrument from a part of the world I never, you know, I don't know anything about. Like, I want him to play that instrument. I want them to do their thing. And what I'm trying to do as the person in this space, because it's safe to do that in this space, right? Because it's because people and the client, they're mystified. They're already kind of like, what's the problem? They're trying to learn, too, and trying to check it. I can create a space where these cats can go do what they want, you know, and have a good time doing it and not feel insecure about doing what they want, not what I want, what they want. What do you want to do? Truly, what do you want to do? Because they're artists and that's what they're here for, not to just service my dream or service my little insecurities. I'm creating an alternate universe. If it's only for a second Mm. for these wonderful artists, I want to just make sure that in this moment, listen, I'm happy to be Thinking of a shot, making a shot list and doing storyboards and, you know, you know, being able to do that. That's fun.
2: No, it's interesting, Bradford. Like you've been like an an old homie, but like a a true kind of inspiration for us, too. You know, so it's just it's wonderful to kind of start here um, speaking to you.
0: Um, So I just want to say big up to you two, because you all tried many times when nobody was trying (laughs) to try to get me in spaces Cause you knew, you know what I mean? That, that I was, you know, I was an image maker. I was thirsty to like collaborate and be with people that I like and love. And y'all tried many times you know, succeeded sometimes, sometimes we did succeed. So I just want to say big up to y'all because that is a testament to that community thing I'm talking about. It's like in community, we're not taking risks. We just really, we just really wrapped in love. So, you know, I always have like nothing but love for y'all and um, I'm happy to just say that and really let folks know that like, and this, this kind of goes back to the whole rigor thing that without, without people really stepping up for you or, um, really wanted to show love and support then none of this I wouldn't be here anyway you know and, um, mm. and, I, and that that really comes before the filmmaking I,
1: I I'm just gonna step in real quick and I wasn't gonna bring up this story but I will just <laughs> mention for people that are listening we were uh, trying to get Brad on a commercial um, and I don't know if that was your first commercial or if it was like one of the first ones but we had a really hard time selling it through to the client and agency and I turned to you and I was like Brad I swear to God, like within like (laughs) five years, you're going to be saying no to them. And I think it was like way less time than that.
0: (laughs) Oscar,
1: you like, there's just like a whole shit. Ton of success that like flew after that sentence like came out of my mouth and um it's funny that you're saying that because it was like one of those moments.
0: Yeah, I mean, I never. I mean, you know, all the stuff that came after was like, you know, I was just remembering how important it was in that moment that you all were doing what you were doing, and I never forgot afterwards how important it was what you did. You know, like that was. I'm not. I don't know if it happens often, but it didn't. I know at that moment it felt very um, abnormal. You know what I mean? It felt very countercultural, so it just made it more revolutionary to me in my eyes. You know, I don't know how the folks saw it, but in my eyes, it felt like a revolutionary act, you know, for all of us to be holding hands and walking in this room. And you, you two were like coaching me through the moment completely. You know what I mean? Because I didn't know what I was doing. I was a complete, you know, feature film DP. That's how I saw myself. That's my training. You know what I mean? That's what I know. So even the commercial thing was a bit, like, excited to see if it was possible if I could operate in that space. But, you know, you all really stepped on limbs. so I just want to pick you up.
1: We have to ask you the last question, which is going to be our sort of signature question for everyone, which is, what would you tell them that you wish you had known at the start of your career? Two or three tips. I mean, your whole, this whole episode is everything that I, I mean, I'm going to be digesting for the start of my career, which is happening now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, but if you could actually sort of, you know, drill down on some of those, what could you go back and say to yourself?
2: Or if it's even something like hyper practical, bread.
1: like, yeah,
0: like,
2: man, I wish I used the light meter when I shot on fucking 60. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, don't take, don't take any of this seriously. Have fun. First and foremost, have fun, you know, because if it ain't fun, it's not even worth it. I would say, you know, instinct is everything. Follow your whole instinct. If your body and your spirit tell you not to do it, don't do it. There's no no other story on the other side of that. There's no other version other than just don't do it. (laughs) It's not going to be a, I wasn't supposed to do it, I did it and it worked out. No, don't do it. Follow your whole spirit on that, you know. I would say the last one is every story is unique. Everybody has their own way of seeing. This is not a competitive sport. This is an art form. Nobody paints like you. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing. Do you. Tell your story because that's special. That's unique. That's nobody else is doing what you're doing. So you completely have innovated a whole and created a whole universe. Feel inspired, but don't feel insecure, you know. Feel very secure in what you're doing. Because there's a place for that voice somewhere. I didn't know there was a space for me to anywhere as a cinematographer. I wasn't sure. I was never confident about that. Um, but, you know, I found my people. I found my tribe, you know. And so that's the thing. Find your people. You know, mm-hmm. find the person or the one person who loves what you're saying. You know, stick with them. Mm-hmm. until It doesn't work out anymore. But stay with them and develop your voice together. You know, develop community together. The one thing that I would say I wish I would have done I wish I would have underexposed Them body stinks by like two more stops. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, but that was that was a one light. That was a one lighter. (laughs) I mean, Bradford
1: Young, everyone, thank you so much. Thank
0: y'all. I love y'all. This is
1: the best inaugural episode we could possibly have prayed for. Thank y'all.
0: Thank y'all for again going back to the top. Thank y'all for being just family. You know what I mean? Family community. I can't. I can't wait to see y'all in person.
1: This episode was sponsored by Some Such, Cabin Editorial, Bonaparte, Unstudios, Studios,
0: and Supreme Music.
1: Special thanks to our producer Joe Yardley and the entire team at YDA. The Young Directors Award is in its 26th year at Cannes and is the biggest fringe festival to exclusively promote the debut of directing talent in the commercial, music video, and short-form space. This year's festival applications are open. You don't want to miss this opportunity. Extended entry deadline is midnight, May 22nd i